The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from 1 Kings 21, 17-29. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut you off from Ahab, every male, bonder free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Well, my name is Todd Teller. I'm one of the pastors at Christ Presbyterian Church. I spend my time at the Old Hickory Boulevard site. And it's such a blessing and a privilege to get to come and be here with you at the Music Row site. Um, I've gotten to be at the Cool Springs one, and it's so fun to get to experience all the different sites and see what the Lord is up to in these different places throughout our city. And so thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm, I'm also glad Stacy can be on a vacation, and so be praying for them there. Well, as you listen to this passage, it's, it's a little bit rough, isn't it? dogs licking up blood, and it's like, oh my gosh, at first I was like, Stacy, dang it, Um, you gave me this one, but y'all, this passage is so beautiful, and it's a reminder that our God is the same God, whether we're in the New Testament or the Old Testament, He is the same loving, gracious, mercy-giving God, but He does take sin seriously, and so our story does start off with a picture of sin and how awful and how devastating and how destructive and enslaving sin is. But, but let me catch us up in our story. We, we started verse 17. There's a bit that goes on before that. You see, Ahab, our main character, is the king of Israel, the northern part of Israel. It was broken into the north and the south. He's the king of the northern part of the kingdom. And his wife Jezebel, and she's a familiar uh, character in the Bible. She's one of the most evil, awful queens or even characters in 
in the Bible, Ahab too for that matter, but they're here in their second castle, their vacation home, if you will. And Ahab walks out of his castle and he notices this nice vineyard that borders his castle. And after seeing it, he decides, you know, I'd really like that. I want to get that and I want to make a vegetable garden. Isn't that funny? The Bible is very detailed and funny things, but it's important. He wants to get this vineyard and make for himself a vegetable garden. And so he goes to Naboth, the, his neighbor, the owner of the vineyard, and he says, hey, I'll, I'll give you a, a good price for it. Or even better, I can give you a better vineyard. So he gives him a good choice, but Naboth says no. And he says no because he says, I I can't do that. This is my inheritance. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Well, Ahab gets his feelings hurt. The, The passage says he goes home vexed or angry and sullen or pouty. So he goes into the castle and his queen Jezebel notices He's in a bad mood, that he's angry and pouty. And so she says, what's going on? And he says, man, I wanted the vineyard and Naboth wouldn't give it to me. You know, I heard somebody say, uh, there's one thing worse than a pouting child. It's a pouting adult. And so Jezebel says, man up, you're the king. Nobody tells you no, I'll fix this. So she sets about a plan to get that vineyard. She forges some letters. Uh, She talks to two uh, evil men and gets them to be false witnesses. She works it out with the leaders of the city, and they uh, wrongly frame Naboth. He's stoned and, and murdered, all for a vegetable garden. You look at that and go, really? What in the world? But we can't miss it. This is how insidious sin is. It's how powerful sin, if left undealt with, can lead us astray. Sin is not a playmate. Sin is not something we can just loosely hold in our hands. Sin means to own us and dominate us and enslave us. And that's what's happened with Ahab. And it leads to murder of a righteous man, of a good man. Have you ever caught a monkey? I'm a country boy from Mississippi. We grew up with dogs, cats, gerbils, guinea pigs. We even had alligators. But I've never caught a monkey. Have you? I'm told it's not that hard. Monkey would be fun to have, wouldn't it? They're they're not too hard to catch, so I'm told. It's pretty easy. You get a coconut, cut a small hole in it, just big enough for them to get their hands into it, chain it to the ground, and put something you know they really want in it, like fruit or nuts or something shiny. You see, they come along and they see something they want and they go to get it. They put their hand in the coconut and grab hold of it. The, The hole is big enough to put a hand unclenched through, but not big enough to pull a hand clenched out of. And so then you can just walk up and and catch them. Not too hard, is it? It wouldn't be hard for the monkey to stay free, though. All he has to do is let go of that thing that he wants. But the monkey won't let it go because he wants it 
deeply and desperately. Ahab was like that, and we often get like that too, don't we? We often want things so much that they own us, they take control of us, and they rob us of our freedom. We're going to look at a couple of things today through this passage. First, the power of coveting. Second, the gift of getting caught. And third, the importance of conviction. The power of coveting. The Tenth Commandment talks about this. God gave it to us because he knows we struggle with coveting. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, not his country club, not his car, not his paycheck, not his golf clubs. Okay, I I elaborated. But you see, it's so hard, isn't it? We're so quick to long for what is not ours. Luke 12, Jesus put it this way, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You remember David, the man after God's own heart, you remember where his covetousness led him into an adulterous affair and even the murder of one of his closest soldiers, one of his best friends. That's what sin can do. That's what sin did to them. And this story reminds us that that's what sin can do to us. It's easy to point our fingers at Ahab. He's an evil, awful king. But then we see David fall to it, a man after God's own heart. And we're quick to blame, aren't we? It shouldn't surprise us our first parents did it. You remember Adam was created in a perfect world, in a perfect relationship with God, and yet he found himself in need of a helpmate. And so God, in his loving kindness and grace, made Eve and brought them together. And then in the fall, do you remember what the first thing Adam said? Well, this woman you put here with me. So as we look at this story, let's not fall into that trap of blaming and pointing fingers, but look at how our hearts can so easily fall into this. And you say, well, hey, settle down. I've, I've never murdered anybody. And I believe you. But have you ever let covetousness, a deep desire, what, it, what is it? It's defined as a strong desire for more, or in the Latin, a yearning to possess or have something as your own. Um, it takes over. Has, have you ever let a desire for more and more and more murder your joy? or murder your excitement, or take away peace, or make you doubt God, or wonder if he really cares, or make you mad at him. Remember, Ahab was angry because he couldn't have what he wanted. Or do you catch yourself in a pouty disposition because things didn't turn out the way you wanted them? When you don't get what you want, do you get suspicious of God? Do you get frustrated with Him? How does that start? It it didn't start right here. Ahab doesn't just go from in the castle wanting a vegetable garden and seeing a vineyard to, I'm going to kill him. It started way back in 1 Kings 16. We see that Ahab 
doesn't pay attention to the word of God. Ahab doesn't follow what God tells him to do. First, God had said, don't, don't marry Jezebel. Don't marry one of the uh, gals from the nation that you're going in to take. They worship Baal. She, she was a witch, and yet she was pretty, and Ahab liked her, and so he married her. He said, don't build temples to other gods, and Ahab said, I want to be a, a good king. I want to be a favorable king. I want the people to like me, so he allowed temples and temple worship for Baal to be built. It was Jezebel's god, and she talked him into it too, and then it went even further. He allowed her to pursue and kill the prophets of God, but it was slow and steady and developed. But it started with Ahab first, not listening to the word of God, not following in his instruction. It can so easily happen to us. It's hard to spend time in God's word, isn't it? It's hard to stay focused and make, make that a regular part of our lives. We call the scriptures the Bible or the living word or, um, or the scriptures. I've taken to calling it God's love letter to us. It's his love letter to us. It's this letter that he gives to us to help us know who we are, who he is, and how he has created us and how we best work. And we see that here in this story in the character of Naboth. He's different than Ahab. And it's a curious thing. He says, no, he's not being mean. He's not being hard to get. He's not just doing it to be spiteful. In the passage, he says, no, I can't because it's a part of my inheritance. I didn't know what that mean. And so I looked it up. It's incredible, y'all. He couldn't give the land away because it was part of land given to his family as a part of one of the 12 tribes, of which Ahab was in another tribe. And the Bible says this in Numbers 7, and Ahab should have known this. He did know this at one point. He just forgot it because he quit paying attention to what God had called him to be. Remember, he's the king of Israel. Of all people, he needs to know these things. And yet he didn't. But Naboth did because he was faithful to the word of God. He loved God. He was a righteous man. And he trusted God in what he said. Listen to Numbers. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Now, God did this for a reason. He didn't want the land going to different people because this was a picture. What was the land called? Do you remember? The promised land. He had taken Abraham around and said, one day this will be yours. And that day came. And it was a physical representation of the reality of what God was doing spiritually. We talk about the promised land, don't we? Well, what do we mean? Heaven. And so it pointed them then the physical pointed to the spiritual, and so it was a big deal. God's not being hard. He wants to help His people know His love and understand and feel and see in a physical and spiritual way, I will provide for you. Trust me. You can trust me. I told you I would give you this land. 
I will give you all that you need. And we know he met our greatest need by sending Jesus. All these things point to the promised one, the promised land pointed to the promised one, Jesus, who would come and live a perfect life and die a criminal's death. And so it wasn't a simple no. Naboth was being faithful to God and to his word. He was trusting God. And let me tell you, he knew who he was saying no to. Everybody in the world knew to say no to Ahab or even worse, Jezebel meant you could have trouble. So it was no small thing for Naboth to say no. He very likely knew it could cost him his life. And it did. And so here we have this faithful man trusting God over fear of man, over the king and his evil queen. And so we see this picture of sin and how awful it can be and how it enslaves and leads us to evil. But we see the work that God does and the sanctification of a man who knows his word and trusts his word. And he follows God and he points to a physical inheritance, understanding the spiritual inheritance that was his as well. And that is Jesus. You've heard of Paul, the apostle. He's responsible for writing 13 of the books of the New Testament. If you ever heard of John Calvin and his five points, we use those a lot. He's incredible. What a great theologian. He shaped our denomination, or Martin Luther, who nailed his 95 thesis to the church doors at Wittenberg and set off the Reformation. That changed the world. He said, here I stand. I can do no other. Or Foster Walker, Foster Walker, a man from Memphis, Tennessee. Maybe you hadn't heard of him. I hadn't, but I heard about his story. See, he went into a convenience store, and the convenience store was being robbed. He looked at the thief, and he looked at the clerk, and he said, I'm calling the police. And the robber said, well, if you do, I'll shoot you. And he pointed the gun at Foster. Foster said, shoot away. I've read my Bible this morning. I'm all prayed up. I know God loves me. I gave Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus. He lived and died for me, and he rose again. And so, shoot away. Well, the robber didn't know what to do. He was confused and paused for a minute, and then he just ran out. The Word of God is powerful to save. The Word of God washes over us. Dr. David Filson says this all the time, and I love it. Get into the Word of God so that it will get into you. Naboth got into the Word of God so much so that it got into him. You see, this is a story of the Lordship of Christ and what happens when He's not our Lord, when we don't let His Word wash over us, and what happens when we do let it dictate and decide how we live, what we say, and what we do. Thankfully, our story doesn't end there for Ahab. We see, secondly, the gift of getting caught. Really? Are you serious? You mean getting caught is a gift? 
Look at verse 20. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Can you imagine how Ahab felt? Here, this plan, they worked it out. They got it done. He's got the vineyard. He's probably there planning out the vegetable garden. And lo and behold, Elijah shows up. Well, they've had a couple of run-ins. Now, it's been six or seven years since they've seen each other. So I can only imagine the panic that hit him when he saw Elijah. We see it in his words. He calls him enemy. But is he really the enemy? God can come across to us like that, can't he? When he tells us to do this or not do this, his word is a light to our feet, uh, a lamp to our path. He leads us, but sometimes it can feel harsh and hard. And Ahab says, enemy. But who really is his enemy? God's the only one that pursues him. God's the only one that sends his prophet to stop him in his sin. The leaders of the city didn't care about him. They just said yes, because they didn't want to have trouble. His wife certainly doesn't love him. She's just using him to get what she wants. She doesn't stop him. She incites him. The only one that truly loves him is the one he thinks is his enemy. God comes to him lovingly and confronts him with his sin. God's truth is always for our good. It just doesn't feel like it sometimes. It doesn't seem like it sometimes. But God's law is that safety net for us. He doesn't do it to be an old man ogre in the sky. He does it because he created us and he knows how we best work. He knows how to lead us to life in abundance. Jesus did come to save us. Thank you, Lord, for that. But it, he doesn't stop there. I think a lot of times as Christians, I say this all the time because I see it all the time. We, we just hold our noses and say, I, I just got to get through this life so I can get to heaven. Don't you dare live like that. Don't you do it. God wants you to have life in abundance here. Now, we don't believe in the health and wealth gospel that if we do what God says, we get the Ferrari. Nothing wrong with a Ferrari if you can afford it. But the point is, even in hard things and hard times, remember the Apostle Paul, he was the creme de la creme of religious leaders. He was the LeBron James of the religious leaders or the Steph Curry this year. He did it all right, but remember what happened? Then he met Jesus. He was shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned and left for dead and imprisoned. And he said, oh my word, it's not till I met Jesus that I learned to live life in abundance. And it doesn't mean everything's gonna go well. It just means that God's gonna walk with you in everything you do and deal with. Even in the hard places, even in the hard times, Naboth is a picture of that. Paul's a picture of that. But we see it throughout the Bible, don't we? His love compels him to come and confront us when we're walking in sin, when we're living in sin. You remember? the story of the shepherd who left his 99 for the one? You remember the father who pounces on his prodigal son and slobbers him with kisses? And he goes out to the elder brother 
who says, man, you never give me anything. He said, everything I have is yours. He's the good shepherd who loves us and confronts us in our sin because he loves us and because he's a jealous God, the Bible says. I hear that and go, ooh, but his jealousy is not like our jealousy. He's a jealous God for us to have life in abundance. And he comes after Ahab. Ahab, this awful, evil man. God is not his enemy. God is not our enemy. Look how Elijah says it. I have found you. And we see the father, he delights in finding us. I have found you because you've been evil, because you've done what's wrong in God's sight. Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. The Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. He loves Ahab, and so he pursues him. He comes after him. John Wesley, that great hymn writer, that great theologian, that great preacher that went all over this nation, giving the gospel away, had 18 other siblings. Can you imagine that? 19 children for his mama. Well, a reporter went to interview her one day after his death. And he asked this question. He said, did you love one of them more than any of them more than the other? And she, he was shocked by her and she said, oh, yeah. She was like, oh, man, what? This is going to be interesting. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, the one that needed it the most. You see, we make the mistake of thinking of God as an old man ogre in the sky. And we make the mistake of running from him when we're in sin. When the very thing we need to do is run to him. If John Wesley's mom can love the one that needs it the most, how much more can our heavenly father love the one that needs it the most? Here in our story, we see that picture. Ahab had done evil. He had been awful. It even says in our passage, he'd, he'd been one of the worst. And yet, what does he need to do? Run to his father. What did the father do? He came after him when Ahab was fleeing him. When Ahab was disobeying him, the father came to get him. Does that remind you of something else? While we were in sin, while we were at our worst, Jesus left heaven to come get us. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Ahab didn't deserve it. I have to say, I read this story and go, man, with the ending of this story, I don't know. Is it, is it right? Is it fair? You see, the next thing we see is the importance of conviction. The prophet of God faces Ahab, and Ahab hears the words. It's a scary, scary word. But God takes sin seriously. It matters to him. Jesus had to come and die. That's how harsh, that's how hard, that's how awful the effects of our sin are. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, an innocent man had to come and live a perfect life and die a criminal's death so that our sin could be paid for because either he pays for it or we pay for it. But the loving father sent his son to die, to redeem, to rescue to save us from our sin so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can turn 
from our sin and turn towards God. Can you believe God was excited about Ahab in any way? But look at what it, what it says in verse 29. Look what he says to his prophet. Have you seen how Ahab humbled himself? What a loving father. What a father so quick and willing to give us grace, to give him grace, to give sinners his love. What a shepherd who came to lead. Christ died to save sinners. Christ died for us that we might live. John Blanchard says it this way, repentance and faith are twins. Or Matthew Henry, whenever God designs to give life, he gives repentance. It's not what I expected. But after hearing the word of the Lord, Ahab humbles himself and repents. Can you believe it? It's a little frustrating, isn't it? It's, that's not fair. He just killed Naboth, a righteous man. Well, we always got to look for these things, y'all. The Bible is so beautiful. I went into the story going, well, I'm Naboth, you know. But do you know who I really am? Do you know who we really are in this story? I'm not Naboth. I'm Ahab. Do you know who Naboth is? Do you know who Naboth points us to? The Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. A righteous, just, innocent man. Remember what? Jesus said to the, de to the devil, man does not live on bread alone, but on the word. Naboth lived on the word, and he was a righteous, innocent man, killed, stoned outside the city gates. And out of that death, what happened? Naboth, hears the love of God and repents and comes back. You and I are Ahab in this picture. And here's one of the reasons why. Let's not be people who play with our sin. Let's look at our lives. Let's look at what's going on in our minds and our actions. Where is their sin? Humble ourselves and repent of it. Get rid of it. Get it out. Be done with it. We see that Ahab puts on sackcloths tears his clothes, puts on sackcloths. He humbles himself and repents. So there's some debate and looking at some of the commentaries, some people say, I don't know if it was real or not. He does turn back to some evil ways and I have to go to that and go, only God knows the hearts of men. But the father was excited about his repentance. He even said so to the prophet. But who knows? I think it was real repentance. But what is real repentance? Let's leave here knowing what that is so we can do that. And let me ask you this. Are you a safe place? Are you an easy place for your loved ones, for the people who really love you, for the people who really know you, for the people that are very involved in your life to come and tell you about your sin? Talk to you about where you might be not listening to the word or following it? Are you a safe place 
for your husband or for your wife to come? Are you a safe place for your brother or for your sister? Are you a safe place for your best friend to come and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. Hey, I'm worried about this. Hey, what's going on here? Do you isolate? Don't isolate. We get our honeys handed to us when we do life alone. Run to Jesus and run to the community of believers that loves you and cares about you. Be easy, be quick to to listen and slow to speak. Well, what does true repentance look like? First, it involves humility. Humble yourself. Listen, recognize sin in your life. That's the first step. We have to admit our sin. Don't blame ship. Don't blame gaming. Number two, we must confess our sin, confess it. That's why confession is such an important part of every worship service we have. We need to be confessors. Now, Christ has paid for all our sin, past, present, and future. But there's a healing and healthy aspect of us confessing it, owning it, saying it. Number three, must feel sorrow for our sin. Say you're sorry for it. Say you're sorry. But don't stop there. Then forsake it. You got to do that in your head and in your heart. Own it and forsake it. Don't keep doing it. Turn from your sin toward righteousness. Don't keep acting along those lines. Change your thinking and change your behavior. Then number five, we must make restitution. Make things right as much as it is possible. We are sinful and we have to turn to the truth and let the truth mold us and make us. The Lordship of Christ is key. Not our will, not our way, but His will, His way. Mold our behavior around the truth of God's Word not make the truth of God's word mold to what we want or what we think. And then six, ask for forgiveness. Ask to receive mercy from the one you, you've sinned against. Uh, seek forgiveness is not saying, hey, let's sweep that under the carpet. Seeking forgiveness is saying, hey, what I did to you was sin. It was evil. It was wrong. And I need your grace. I need you to give me mercy for how I sinned and how I hurt you. And then we've got to be quick forgivers as well. Are you a quick forgiver? We're going to sin against one another. People are going to sin against us. And when we Give forgiveness. This is what we're saying. I will not dwell on this incident anymore. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. And I will not talk to others about this incident. Now, there's a difference. If you need godly wisdom and counsel, go in and figure out how do I do this in a Christ-like way. That's not, I'm t- not what I'm talking about here. It's like, man, you wouldn't believe what that Todd Teller did. You see the difference? And then I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship. Did you see that pattern in our passage? God pursued Ahab. 
he ran him down and lavished his mercy and love. Now, it didn't go unpunished. Later on, he dies in a war. Um, There are consequences to sin, but God gives him mercy and grace and kindness. Let us be quick to listen and do what God's word says to do. Let us let it wash over us. Let him be our Lord and Savior, not just in word. Let's, do, let's be hearers and doers of the word of God that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you would grow us in your grace and walk us in your ways that you would lead us, that you would give us the power um, to trust you, to do what you tell us to do, not what we want to do. Would you help us to be hearers and doers of your word for your glory and our blessing that we might be a blessing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.